Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I go to work and I'm encouraged to be like, oh, you're Roman, you say and do whatever the hell you want. So yeah, liberating and yeah, therapeutic and stuff to you, but haunting in that sometimes I find myself almost going too far and going, how did my brain even come up with that? Where was that? <laughs> like, what? Why is that somewhere in my brain? This is HBO's Succession Podcast. I am your host, Roger Bennett, R to the OG. My guest today is the man who inhabits a character New York Magazine called a wise-cracking mashup of Puck and Iago sheathed in an Armani suit. The louche, gutter-mouthed, broken little bloke, Roman Roy, the third son of monstrous patriarch Logan, a trollish man-boy who's summed up by his life desire to be COO of Waystar Royco, even though he has no idea what that job actually entails. Because, well, responsibility is just not his thing. And on Planet Roman, you can live out such strange notions like this one. You guys are a team. And uh, when a team is a team, it can't actually physically be beaten. It's impossible. A life truth he delivered to the confused players of the heart of Midlovian Football Club. He just mistakenly purchased as an empty gesture of a gift. Welcome to the show, Roman Roy, a.k.a. Ron Rockstone, a.k.a. Emmy nominee for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama for his role in this magnificent series. It's Mr. Kieran Culkin. Hello. It is so good to be, I guess, the closest I'll ever be to the other end of a phone to you. And I feel strangely compelled to call you a slime puppy. I think that was actually Jay's doing. I think she looked at my face and went, slime puppy. This is a podcast you can't see, but look at this thing. Look at it. Just gross. <laughs> like many Succession fans, I first watched you back in 2002 in the magnificent Burr Steers film, Igby Goes Down, a cult classic in which you played a rich prep school kid desperately trying to escape the confines of your upbringing. Then I saw you on Broadway in Kenneth Lonergan's This Is Our Youth, in which you played a character one critic described as a funny and appropriately irritating alpha narcissist whose will to rule borders on psychopathic. The major roles in your body of work, they are plays on a theme. There's something, I don't really know what that is. You said narcissist about the character in This Is Our Youth. That's definitely there. That's probably there with a bunch of them. 
I would say like borderline sociopath with a few too. I don't know what the attraction is there for me. I still haven't figured that one out. Probably don't really want to dive into that one too well. It's probably why I've been avoiding seeing a therapist. Oh, the story of your succession audition is that you were asked to read for Cousin Greg, but you realised the part was too young for you. You kept reading that script though. Roman's first line is, Hey, hey, motherfuckers. You said at that moment, I immediately loved his voice. This guy, I kind of understand. He's a piece of shit, but I like him. I love that first line. It was intriguing. And to be honest, when I read the pilot, I knew it was great writing. It was really well put together, but I wasn't invested in it. I just thought, oh, well, this is good quality. But then I saw Roman and went, I want to play that guy. I want to be the guy who rips up the check in front of the kid. If I can do that, that's one really fun day of work. And if the show never gets picked up, fine. I'll do it for one day of work. Roman Roy, chronic privilege, bereft of qualifications other than his last name, mm -hmm. unbridled wealth, completely entitled, perhaps most crucially of all, never suffered any consequences for any act in his life. If there's a window in his lush new office, he can masturbate on it while looking out at the skyscrapers of Manhattan scattered below. He will do it because he can. And that was attractive to you. Yeah, you compared it to the character in This Is Our Youth. There's something about him where he, as a, sort of a narcissist, he always felt like he could sort of get away with anything too, but that's because he was sort of a high school legend who was only just sort of figuring out that he can't back the same way through life. Whereas Roman in his 30s hadn't learned that lesson. In fact, he's learned the opposite lesson. He can sort of do whatever he wants. He's safe no matter what. And there's an absolute freedom in playing somebody who can say and do whatever I want, especially on a set where just to start there are brilliant writers, but then they just let you go. And it means I have the freedom to go and do and say whatever I want and know that not only am I protected by the character, but the character is protected by his situation. Unfettered ego is a gift from the gods. This gift though, from Jesse Armstrong, the showrunner. And he said, when it came time to cast Roman Roy, as soon as you read on camera, he said that was it. That's Roman. Kieran just had an instant feel for the part. He had a sense of his character from the beginning. Is that true that there's such a little line between you and the character? Because you were once asked how much preparation you had to put in to play Roman and you said none. All it needed was 35 and a half years on the island of Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, again, I don't want to know why I connect so much. I wouldn't say... We're definitely different, but I just keep finding all these little hidden things inside me that are Roman that I don't particularly wish to explore. When you make the simplest choice, like, okay, this guy has never had to suffer consequences. I made that one. He can say and do what he wants. And then from there, I just felt this freedom. It doesn't matter if I do research or not. I don't think Roman does. I don't, I don't think he thinks much. He just acts. Your friend, the playwright Kenneth Lonergan, mm -hmm. described you as a man who would rather get on your nerves than make his point. <laughs> Which, by the way, coming from England, that is 97% of the English people I grew up with. Sarah Snooker said, let's just turn part of Kieran's personality up 5,000% and he becomes Roman. If Kieran Culkin met Roman Roy at a party, would you like him? Would you engage with him? Would you be entertained or repulsed? Engaged, but I do not think we'd end up liking each other. I think it would be a very long back and forth where we would both walk away from the situation going, fuck that guy. <laughs> I don't think that would work out too well. I think what Snook said is pretty apt. And Kenny says that because sometimes we just disagree and he just 
absolutely believes he's right and will eventually say, well, I'm smarter than you, so I know what I'm talking about. So then when I hear something like that, I'll just keep driving it home. It becomes about not just is that movie not good, it becomes about how movies before 1985 are not good. So I start saying that to him just to piss him off and to walk and go on these long tirades. You're just so ignorant, you haven't seen films. I'm like, yeah, well, I don't have to see movies that are black and white, they're all dumb. Just to piss him off. You can win an argument if somebody sort of spirals. It doesn't matter how they were. If, you know, you piss him off enough, you can kind of just win the fight. Oh, all hail Kieran Culkin. <laughs> you have a black belt in debating Aikido, just using the other person's force against them. Roman Roy <laughs> is such an emotionally unsettling character. I mean, New York Magazine captured his discomfort in a piece written after season one called Roman Roy Doesn't Know How Chairs Work which documented how you can't even sit properly because he's not comfortable in his own skin. An awkwardness captured at the end of the first season when he watched in the bathroom as the launch of the rocket project he'd been recklessly overseeing went pear-shaped. The rocket blows up on the launch pad. Roman just remains expressionless, literally washes his hands symbolically of the project, then exits the men's room. It's just money to him, Kieran, not his money either. He doesn't appreciate it or the human cost. I don't think he was genuinely concerned for anyone's well-being. It was, oh, I was in charge of this project, and if people die, that really reflects poorly on me, and Dad's not really going to trust me with things like this. This was a very big deal. This was the biggest thing I'd been responsible for. Oh, and people just lost a couple of thumbs? No big deal. You're not gonna ruin a party over a couple of fucking thumbs. It's just thumbs. <laughs> Compensate them. We'll do this again. We'll get it right. <laughs> just thumbs. However, Roman may be a hedonist. He is spineless. He is half-assed. But this, and this is fascinating, he still wants a gold star from Logan Roy just as badly as Kendall or Shiv, right? I think he actually has courage in a way of like, I think he could walk into a room knowing nothing about it and go, I'm going to just bullshit this, which I think does take courage. And also he's been able to bounce back a lot. I think he does feel like he's entitled to it. Like he's probably the most deserving of it. And he, there's actually an argument for it. The fact that Kendall, who was supposed to be the guy, has betrayed dad a number of times and clearly his drug addiction problem. There's, there's an argument for why Kendall shouldn't be the guy. And then Shiv has never been in the company. So if you're going to pass it to any kid, it really seems like it obviously is Roman. Not just that, but I feel like Roman is the most like his father and who better to take over his father's company than someone who has the same sort of temperament. There is something about him that does really want it without really doing the hard work, but he craves it. He craves that validation from Logan, right? I think so. His dad had to work hard to get to that position, obviously. But... In Roman's life, he hasn't seen much of the hard work his father has already established. What he sees his dad do is delegate. And I think he sees that as like, I don't have to know all the stuff. I just have to hire the guys to do the stuff for me. I can do that. And he says that. He's like, I'm dumb, but I'm smart. I don't know how to take care of the situation, but I know the guy who can. And that's pretty much what Logan does. <laughs> so who better? Put me in charge. I can keep running the shit. He's dumb, but he's smart. And one thing I respect about Roman, his mouth is exceptional. Nice vest, Wamsgans. It's so puffy. Thank you, Roman. Was it stuffed with your hopes and dreams? Wit is an incredible superpower. In a world in which we all have to be careful of what we say, Roman is a gent who just steams in, pops off with whatever comes through the mind without a trap, unfiltered, and unconcerned if people hate him or are hurt by him. I mean, to play that, Kieran, is it liberating, therapeutic even, or is it haunting? It's kind of all of it. Definitely liberating and therapeutic. 
say a little bit haunting because there are just a couple of times where because I have that freedom, you're right, we're living in a time where you really have to watch what you say. And then I go to work and I'm encouraged to be like, oh, you're Roman, you say and do whatever the hell you want. So yeah, liberating and yeah, therapeutic and stuff. Yeah, but haunting in that sometimes I find myself almost going too far and going, how did my brain even come up with that? Where was that? <laughs> Why is that somewhere in my brain? Don't say that. Then there's also, after doing the full day of that, especially on days where Roman's talking a lot and I've been given the freedom to explore it, I then have to go home and shut my mouth. Like it's sort of hard to just turn that thing off. You kind of have to just dial it down a bit. After a day of shooting, we'll be talking and I like have something I want to say, an insult and it starts to come out and I go, wait, you got to stop it. You're not, there's no cameras, turn it off. Be a nice guy, you're gonna piss people off. You're Kieran now, stop. But there is a thin line between wit and a one-dimensional character like uh, Joey Tribbiani. You've said of the danger of self-parody, there's a sentence I dread will come out on set, and it is, that's so Roman. Yeah, hate it. And actually, it's funny you said Joey Tribbiani. There's one episode where I asked to just not be in the scene, and I said, because all I do is interrupt with a joke, and I said, I feel like I'm becoming like the Chandler Bing of HBO. <laughs> And then, you know, the argument is like, no, he's the great disruptor, which makes sense, but there always has to be a reason. And there almost always is. So in this particular case, Jesse and the writers then like found a reason, which was good. It was a clever way to get me to still be the disruptor, but there was a reason why Roman was doing it. They're smart. It's not just, we need to throw in some gags here. We need some exposition here. There's smartness. It's done in a really good way. And yeah, definitely want to avoid the self-parody. And also I've never done a TV show before, but watching a lot of TV, I noticed that sometimes, particularly on shows that are pretty good, that get a lot of attention, the actors at some point become a little self-aware of what's good, and you can almost register it on the actor that they then start delivering what's expected of them. And that's something that I'm just really working hard to try to avoid. Like, I had no idea about the chairs and the sitting thing. I guess individually I was making choices for those scenes, but it wasn't an overall thing where I thought, when he's uncomfortable in the situation, he sits oddly. I didn't know that that was what I was doing. I guess just Roman probably felt uncomfortable and that was how it came out. <laughs> but now I've become aware of it to the point where sometimes when we shoot the second season, I would do it and then take myself out of that seated position. But I would then put myself back in because whatever that instinct was is real. I just don't want to be playing up to expectations. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance, an emergency repair, or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Season three, you're going to freak us all out by just sitting with perfect posture on a straight back chair. 
stool with me everywhere I go for every scene. I'm plopped down, sit down, and be like, everybody shut up. I'm going to sit like this in every damn scene. I'm working on my fucking posture, guys. You've got some ability to control that, though. Showrunner Jesse Armstrong encourages the cast to improvise, or in his words, dick around with the script a bit. How does it work? Does one actor just start deviating from the script and then you're all just in it, scrambling, emptying the cliff of your minds in the darkest, most devious ways? It's really uh, not an understatement to say that this is a dream job. For that reason, because you start off already with really talented writers that have already written a script that you can do word perfect and it's excellent. You don't have to do anything. Then in there, they don't have the huge egos to say, do it exactly like this because this is exactly what the story is. They want to hear from us. So sometimes I'll voice my concerns like I think Roman's making too many jokes and I'm hurt. A lot of times I'm disagreed with, but I'm hurt and they'll make adjustments. And then on the day, there's freedom in the understanding that we already really know our characters. I already have the deep understanding of Roman. I already have the base of this great writing. There's the freedom to play with it. And at the end of the day, when they get in the editing room, we know that Jesse has the finest eye and the great detector for bullshit or anything that is wrong or maybe a little too far or a little too on the nose. Nothing in this show that I've seen is ever on the nose. And if it starts moving in that direction, usually on set, Jesse pulls it back. And if not, there are times I'll go home and I think, oh, that scene was a little too about something. And then it doesn't make the cut or it's edited in a way where it's not that way anymore. And so there's the safety of I can do whatever I want and know that Jesse or somebody is going to catch it. When you're in that improv moment, Kieran, mm-hmm. how does that work? Do you talk it through that you're going to try some different things or does one of you just go for it and in that moment it's just like John Coltrane, free improv jazz? It's different. Sometimes it's right there on the fly. Sometimes I'll plan it. I don't plan the night before. I don't even really look at my lines the night before anymore. I like show up to work and I look at it really quickly because I've been doing this since I was six. I learned lines like I can read them twice and I know them. I look at it while like getting makeup on and I do that so I don't think about it. So I don't try to come up with things the night before to say or what could be an interesting whatever. It'll sometimes do it a couple minutes before. Sometimes it's right in the moment. Sometimes they'll give me a page of 10 alt lines and then by seeing what train of thought they have, I'll throw in my own stuff. And I'll almost never prepare anyone, particularly Jeremy. Jeremy does not want to know like, hey, by the way, I'm going to do something different. He doesn't want to know that. So I'll just throw something different. And somehow Roman has not become a one no 80 sitcom character because, as you say, Succession is such a nuanced show. And Roman's evolution is proof of that from the off. Mm. He announces himself as a smarmy, snarky heel, tearing up that million dollar check that he'd offered to an innocent young working class kid. If he could hit a home run, the kid nearly does. But Roman savors the opportunity to demean him. Talk about no moral compass. Mm -hmm. But he evolves. And by the end of season one, there are moments, fleeting moments of redemption. First, management training at Bright Star Amusement Park. Those scenes as Ron Rockstone, Kieran, who is more arrested development bluth than a Roy at times, Mm -hmm. allow Roman to interact with people outside that Waystar bubble. And you seem to treat them with this ridiculous mixture of disdain and fear, as if they're some kind of unpredictable alien species. I love that line, I don't know what do the normos like. I like that because conference rooms and stuff that they set up all look very cheap. And it was a way of looking around going, we did this? We... (laughs) 
made this terrible conference room and these awful people. It did feel like show up in this really nice car and, you know, I'm used to my office and now I got to sit here with these people making <laughs> awful pastries. You said fear. I never really considered that. There is, in a way. One of the guys comes over to say, hey, we have a safe room. Something happened. But when he comes over, I think Roman sort of reacts like, why is this guy talking to me? I'm not protected by any of my usual stuff here. I don't, what, what is this? Do I have to bring out the big guns? Like, I'm your boss. Back off. There's also a bit of crossover with Kieran wanting Roman to be taken more seriously and Roman obviously struggling for it too. So there's a lot of the blurred lines with those guys sometimes. And by the end of the season, he has an opportunity to be the hero, but thinks that the deal is kind of bullshit and decides to take the honest route and be like, sorry, dad, I couldn't save the company. We can try this, but I think it's bullshit. My bad. And that actually shows that he does kind of know what he's doing. Dumb, but smart, as you say. That was the culmination of Roman 2.0, which we built to by revealing glimpses of the trauma at the heart of the character. We learn about the game he and Kendall used to play as kids, Dog Pound, which involved Kendall locking him in a cage, forcing him to eat dog food. Then Logan has a mood swing, smacks Roman, knocks his tooth out in front of the family, which leads to one of the most emotionally painful scenes in succession, which is saying something. Yeah. Kieran, you and Logan are riding in a town car together shortly afterwards. Logan half apologises, half questions whether the incident even happened. Roman chooses to brush it off, attempts to awkwardly repress and deflect. Cars, buildings, everywhere. That was one of my favourite written lines, I forgot about that. Cars, buildings, everywhere. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. What a way to end the scene. Uh, there's just he wants to come up with something clever because usually when he's uncomfortable he either can sit awkwardly or say something stupid and he's already in a chair so he can't do the first so this is not the first time he's been hit by Logan mm, yeah, maybe not because dad says that's not something I do and I think dad truly believes that because he has a pretty good track record which means probably when I was about 12 and I got too loud mouth he whacked me upside my head and it might have happened one other time I don't think he's been overly physically abusive and Roman definitely doesn't want to see him that way. So I think there's a good amount of denial on his part too. So when he says, no, no, I know you don't do that. That's him. You don't need to apologize. Whatever version of apology is accepted, I'll deny it as much as you want to deny it and we'll keep pretending that this didn't happen. The third element of Roman's redemption, Jerry Kilman. Oh, we will get to Jerry and Roman. Or as Reddit has decided, the couple known as German. But first, Roman's sex life. Because for all his filthy jokes and his potent posturing, Roman in reality, let's just say, his girlfriend Tabitha calls him Professor Can't Fuck. This isn't a normal relationship. Why? Well, um, for one thing, we never fuck. Oh, yeah, we do. No, we don't. Yeah, come on, yeah, we do. We've been busy as well. No, you, like kind of jerked off near me oh, there's no need once. to be disgusting <laughs> new york magazine had a piece where they talked to three sex therapists about roman's peccadilloes one of the sex therapists theorized fantasies are always based on our greatest fear and his psychological depths roman's anxiety is that he's a piece of shit his anxiety is that he's worth nothing because his family has treated him like crap mm. and in playing this out sexually He's rewriting the neurological pathway so it doesn't always end up with just humiliation and misery. He wants it to end with humiliation and pleasure. It's going to feel good. Does that sound true for Roman Roy? I always want to know only as much as Roman knows. I don't do tons of research. I don't want to like get into why does the character do this. One of the best directions I ever got 
ever. When I was 17, I was in a movie called Dangerous Lives of Walter Boys. We were all playing 15 years old. The director, Peter Kerr, came up with this. All of the kids were going to run through the woods, like walking around, getting high, drinking beers. There was no direction. We did a take or two, and we were confused. And we were eventually like, why are we doing this? And he got frustrated and said, because you're fucking 15. And it made so much sense to me. Since then, sometimes when it's like, oh, why is my character doing it? I try to think about it. It's my character's doing it because they're doing it. I don't think Roman has any understanding as to why Jerry saying that stuff to him turns him on. I don't think he knows. So then I shouldn't know. I think he's been to enough therapy and I think has had enough introspective to actually understand who he is. But there's a few blind spots and one of them is the sexuality. And I think he hasn't tried to explore it. And I think he has no idea what it is. That is fascinating and quite an enormous blind spot which we can jump into jerry kilman waystar royko's unflappable general counsel so many succession fans have spent agony filled hours going back through the show with a fine tooth comb to detect different tiny moments where the two of you act protectively towards each other or steal affectionate glances even in the background of scenes when did you first learn that roman and jerry would be talking about sex baby I always hoped it would happen. Jay and I used to like flirt in character at the end of scenes, not really with the intention of it ever being used, but that in my mind, I was hoping that maybe eventually the writers would be like, let's try something here. And I used to say to my wife, because I'm also friends with Jay's husband, I said, Kenneth Lonergan. Kenneth Lonergan, yeah. One day, my wife, Jazz, and Kenny are watching this, and there's suddenly we tell them there's a sex scene between the two of us. I said that as a joke. My wife like laughed, thought that'd be really funny because we've known each other a long time. I guess it was because at the end of season one, I said something horrible to her about having sex with her tortoise, and she rushed me off, and I walked away from her, and I checked out her butt, and then when I turned around, she checked out my butt, and neither of us knew that we checked out each other's butts, and Mark Mylod saw that in the editing room and thought that was funny and thought, hey, maybe we can sort of explore this. So at the start of season two, Mark told me that they're working on a story of there maybe being something not necessarily sexual with Roman and Jerry, but that we're hoping it leads to this moment where Roman can sort of finally properly get off. That's incredible. So the seeds of it are in you and Jay Cameron improvising, almost trying to seed the idea, working through, almost workshopping it at the end of scenes. Yeah, but it wasn't going to the writers and saying we have this great idea. It's so that we play around and if they detect it and think they like it, they experiment a lot. Like there's been whole storylines. They saw that, thought that's interesting. Let's see how it works. They continued to sort of, I guess, like how that works. They kept writing for it. You can find the beat to the relationship as early as season one, episode two, with what felt like a sarcastic flirtation at the time. Roman talks about admiring Jerry as a, quote, job doer. I've always thought of you, and I mean this in the best possible way, as a stone-cold killer bitch. And before we know it, this happens. You are a revolting little worm, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I am. First of all, Kieran, who was actually on the other end of the phone as you were shooting your part of that phone sex scene? Is it Jerry or is it just a producer reading those lines? Now I'm trying to remember. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I think with the jerking off thing, I think it was Jay. I'm pretty sure it was actually Jay. I always think it's just some 50 year old line producer, some guy just 
grumpily reading the lines for you so you can pace yourself. Usually it's not that. Usually it's either like the actual actor is on the phone or I just do it in my head. I just pretend that they're... For Roman, is it a straight-up humiliation fetish? I don't know how long he was holding on to that idea of can Tabitha pretend to be a corpse so we can have sex. I don't know if that's something he thought of just then or if it was sort of a seed of an idea. I don't think he knows. And obviously the corpse thing doesn't really work anyway. He kind of likes the idea, but he knows that he's asking a lot of his partners, so it's still awkward. He just doesn't want it to be so present and attached. (laughs) So that's why being on the phone while she says awful things that are not necessarily at all sexual seems to work because it's not on the nose. There was talk before we started shooting even the pilot that Roman could be bisexual and they started to explore that. And then I think mutually we also felt like that's a little too specific. I don't think there's a simple answer for Roman. And Tabitha even says, I'm not uninterested in solving you. It's because it would be really nice if Roman could just be like, oh, I'm bi, but it's not that. Phone sex culminates in season two, episode eight, Dundee, when Roman turns around to Jerry and says, one more thing real quick. Should we get married? What? You know, not that, like uh, an equivalent of a thing, like I abduct you and force you to live with me. Uh, That's not equivalent. Well, then you kill me, you chop my dick off, you know, something. I'm kidding, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, You eat me, I eat you, like they do in Germany. Anyway, a lot to think about. I get it, so let it. Let's get married, Kieran. What does that mean? Does he mean business partners, or does he mean mommy issues, relationships, or does Roman not even know? Roman doesn't know, and I don't think even prior to that thing he thought about it much. I don't know. He mentions it earlier about a partnership, the mole woman. Yes, you were the rock star. Rock star and the mole woman. We did a take where, for some reason, I was Spider-Man, and he was Alfred the butler, because Roman doesn't really understand his Marvel DC crossovers. And he's like, Spider-Man is swinging through Metropolis, and she's back home pressing my Spidey suits. And, you know, I said, that's what we are. We're Spider-Guy and old lady butler face. Sometimes I forget what makes it in the show. That seed was planted early on of like wanting some kind of partnership, but there's also something sexual, but also not, because it's not direct. So I think when he says equal parts means, yeah, let's get married or let's chop each other up and eat each other like they do in fucking Germany or whatever. Like he does, he means a partnership or let's fuck or something. I don't know. I'm just sort of free form thinking, whatever. Just I'm going to throw some shit on the wall. Here's my Pollock of my brain all over your chest. And you can clean it up or do with it as you want. <laughs> My Jackson Pollock brain. And he does have a Jackson Pollock brain. But the character of Jerry is so shrewd. She's been lifelong the adult in the boardroom. She is serious. She is the Roy family's designated driver, a politician, a diplomat, a survivor. I mean, she clearly cares about Roman, an emotion which is all too rare in succession. But what does she see in Roman? And what's funny, because she's on the paper as the next one to take over the company, just temporarily. And I think she's actually quite capable of it. She's seen these kids grow up. And I think her dead husband was Shiv's godfather. So she's not only been with the company forever, she's seen these kids grow up. So I just worked with a director that I worked with when I was nine and 12. And she goes, I know you're in your 30s, but you're still 12 to me. I can't help but see that. And she's still talks to me in a very like kind, really nice way, like I'm the sweet little boy, little does she know. But I think there's a little bit of that and she sees how hard I'm trying and how much I want this. And I think she thinks there's potential there. I think a lot of people see potential in Roman, but he just has to get out of his own way 
and she might be the person to help him do that. I think he understands that a bit too, which is why let's get married or eat each other. Oh, maybe damaged beta males are just her thing. But the funny thing is, it's not just Jerry who agrees to be the quote mole woman to the also quote rock star. There is a whole Roman hive on the internet who are attracted or attracted by their repulsion to Roman Roy. Tweets like, oh God, I'm helplessly attracted to this limp dick asshole and I don't know why, all caps, litter Twitter. Roman is a fan favourite. And I want to go back to the beginning of Succession. You said you were excited to play Roman, but you couldn't work out for the life of you who would want to watch. Do you understand the attraction of Roman Roy in your own words? To me, that was almost more like the show as a whole was like, okay, very well written. I'm watching these other actors. They're great. It's well shot. It's well put together. All of it is quality. I don't know why I care to watch these people. And I feel like I didn't until like halfway through the first season. There was something that just like clicked about these characters being interesting. And it isn't just as simple as, oh, I want to see them fail or they're awful. But then being rich and powerful isn't really what the show is about at all. It's nice to have a show where nothing is direct and not being preached. You've walked a singular path to Roman Roy Kieran. You've talked movingly and honestly about a crisis of confidence you experienced in your early 20s after your initial success with Igby Goes Down. You said, I realised I've been doing this for 14 years. I never once made the decision, hey, I want to be an actor. So I flipped out and you can check my IMDb. I didn't work for years. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. In other words, you drifted. Would it be true to say that with succession, you become comfortable with acting again? I found a back door into this business. I've been doing it since I was six and continue to do it. There are people that pursue it. So I do sort of have an odd way in here. I have my own separate struggles, but I didn't fight and struggle to get here. I just sort of found myself here and went, oh shit, somebody used the word career. There was a job I did right before Succession. There was this little movie called Infinity Baby, which I'm not even sure is technically a movie because it's under an hour. It was on that set when I realized I had more experience than almost any other person on that set. That was one. And that I realized I felt really comfortable even though I hadn't worked in a little while. And I thought, okay, well, I know I've just been acting while I try to figure out what I'm doing, but here I am in my mid-30s still doing it, and I feel comfortable in the set. Maybe this is what I should be doing. And then it was, I don't think it was the pilot. I think it was after we were picked up. We were shooting part of season one, and I was like, oh, I think I know what I want to do with my life. I want to be an actor. And it took until doing this job to, and I've been doing it for about 30 years by the time I, 29, 30 years before I was like, okay, this is what I want to pursue now. I feel really spoiled. I haven't properly worked on anything other than Succession since we started. And I just filmed a Zoom thing yesterday for like the last couple of days. And it took a day of adjusting to, oh, I don't just have the freedom to play and throw my shit on the wall. Like I have to go back and take directions and do their script and do my job. I'm almost a little bit too scared to go and, you know, do another play where I have to do all lines exactly as they are. And I can't, they set up lights in a specific way where I can't move differently on a different night. It's locked. It's kind of terrifying. You have had some journey to Roman Roy, a strangely beloved character, even in his darkness. Plaudits, critically revered. You were just nominated for an Emmy. Golden Globe nominations too. You once said, I'll take happiness over success. If I'm miserable, what's the fucking point? Does Roman Roy, does succession 
give you both? Whatever. I'm 37. I got a baby. You want to give me a big check? I'll sell your Hellman's mayonnaise. I don't know why that one was the first thing. Who wants me to sell mayonnaise? This definitely gives me both. I have the artistic freedom and I feel nice and full and it feels really nice. It's actually kind of perfect. Kieran, I will say any mayonnaise manufacturers who are listening, there is a whole Roman Roy hive. I don't even like mayonnaise. That will be buying. Dr. Pepper, like I like Dr. Pepper. Why did I say mayonnaise? And what, Hellman's is gonna like big bucks. Like, do you want to just throw out a couple of other brands just on the slide, just in case, Kieran? I love scotch. Uh, oh. Any great scotch? You want to use this fine puppy face for me to sell it? I'll sell it. I will say every interview I've read with you, you you're always you're on the Lagavulin or the Talisker, just diving in. Mostly Lagavulin, or I'll make like an old fashioned with Lafroig, and that one's really good. <laughs> Scott, Scott, Scott. <laughs> a future as a pitch man awaits you. Kieran Culkin, you are magnificent. The opposite of whatever a slime puppy is. To you, your family, your career. Roman Roy, courage. Thank you. Join us next week for some more from HBO's Succession podcast. This is Roger Bennett leaving you with some Pete Roman Roy. I'd like to welcome Tom to the family. I don't feel like I'm losing a sister. I don't feel like I'm gaining a brother either. Uh, I don't feel anything. (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hacks is coming back and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Agnello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hack Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.